0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom. All right, we have, you can hear me, the mic is on. Thank you, Mr. Brett. Appreciate that. We have liftoff. Uh, already confronted with tech problems this morning. Nothing that we're not used to. Amen? <laughs> well, we are in our second week of this new series that we're getting into, and that is the women of the Bible, and we're actually looking at a particular theme, at least at this point. And that is the theme of women of war and intercession, a very, very powerful theme. And I'm going to tell you, the story that we're going to look at today is a perfect example of this theme. It's a personification. It exemplifies this theme uh, in a really mighty way. One of the interesting things about this story is, is it's really not known in Scripture. Uh, Even people that have read the Bible cover-to-cover Genesis to Revelation, a lot of people will even forget this story was in the Bible. Many people don't even know it exists. And so I'm kind of excited to dig into this because I want to highlight this story. This story has not gotten the coverage that it deserves. And so we're going to do that. We're going to to give this story special attention. And I really believe that uh, by the end of today... My hope is that some of you women, actually all of you women, I'm hoping, are going to be radically inspired by the Word of God, radically inspired by the Spirit of the living God. And uh, so with that said, let's dig into this. I want to begin by taking you back to 2 Samuel, and we'll begin in chapter 15, at least for now. Uh, There are some things that unfold for you to pick up where we're going to jump into the story There's some things you got to know that had transpired Number one absalom has some aspirations To ascend to the throne. He has his eyes fixed on the throne He is lusting for power He is lusting for worship He wants the people to come to him and here's the thing He's not going to wait for god to give him the throne He's certainly not going to wait for his father david to pass the baton and give him the throne Now he just goes and takes it And so Absalom, David's son, what he does is he's actually told in the text that he stole the hearts of the people. And he sends out spies throughout the land and instructs them, saying, listen, when you hear the trumpet, when you hear that trumpet blast, this is what's going to happen. You declare Absalom reigns in Hebron, the very place where David reigned for seven and a half years. In other words, you're to declare Absalom is king. He's king over all Israel. Well, David catches wind of this. He picks up and he flees. Because he's been told that all the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And there's only a few that are going to remain loyal to David. So David picks up with his company and he goes over to the other side of the Jordan. Well, in the meantime, Joab gets the opportunity through war to hunt Absalom down, and he finds him and he takes him out. Even though King David said, "Don't, don't touch the lad. Don't bring him home alive." No, Joab killed him, and so the threat is over. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. We look at verse forty in chapter nineteen. Now, King went on to Gilgal. Now, this has nothing to do with the story, but I think this is interesting. This is significant. David's on the other side of the Jordan, but now the first city that we're told that he's going to come back and assume the throne, he comes through Gilgal. You know why that's significant? This is the very spot that the children of Israel, the feet of Israel coming out of Egypt, stepped on when they came into the promised land. This is where Joshua set up the 12 stones as a memorial. This is where the Lord told Israel that today, as you are here in Gilgal, as you stepped into the promised land, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This is the place where Joshua circumcised Israel a second time. I mean, there's some serious prophetic significance to this place. And here's this place that this is where David's soles of his feet are crossing over. Incredible. And the king went on to Gilgal. And Chimham went on with him. And all the people of Yehuda escorted the king. Listen to this. And also half of the people of Israel. Did you get that? All of Judah, all of Judah is with the king, but only part of Israel. This becomes problematic. You'll see this as we continue. Just then, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Yehudah, stolen you away? And brought the king and his household and all of David's men with him across the Jordan. Now pay close attention because Israel is looking at this. They're upset with the tribe of Judah, with their brothers from Judah. They're upset because their interpretation is you are taking our king whom we have anointed, you go back to chapter 5, Israel anointed David as their king in 2 Samuel chapter 5 in Hebron. And they view what Judah is doing as confiscating their king. Judah is not recognizing, at least according to Israel, and their perception is Judah is not recognizing that he is their king too. This becomes problematic. Moving to verse 42. So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours, why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? Two things, really, primarily, in which Judah responds to Israel. First thing it says, why would you even be surprised? This is the closest of kin. David is our kin. He's of the tribe of Judah. Judah. And secondly, and this is important, Judah lets them know, we're not here for profit. Our intentions and our motive is totally honorable. We're moving with integrity in this. And so they they realize what Israel's intimating here. Verse 43, and the men of Israel answered the men of Yehuda and said, now listen, you're going to need this. We have ten shares in the king. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Oh, it's so so important that you catch that. Israel has come out and they have declared David from their own mouths, all the leaders of Israel, he is our king. In fact, Judah, we have more right to him than you do because we have ten shares this is where Israel's is at right now now is it wrong for Israel to say that David is their king no David is their king they have confessed this but then Judah responds yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel in other words Judah comes back here with an argument that cannot be overcome they come back stronger And their their words prevail, and thus the king remains with them. Very important. But then this is what happens. Something erupts in the midst of this. And there happened to be there a rebel. Now, this is where the story takes a turn, and this is where it gets spiritually deep. We need to spend some time on this term The rebel, because this is the first thing we're told about him. Before we'll we'll be given his name, but this is the first thing we're told. He is a rebel. Now you look at this in the Hebrew. It is in the Hebrew. It's Belia All, and literally it's a compound. It literally means Beli without Ya All is prophet. This 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 title is without prophet. But this is a term that is used throughout Scripture to describe evil men. This is how it's used. In fact, if we use our law of first mention, kind of a a hermeneutical principle, if you're going to study the Bible and you're looking at a particular passage, you look at the the core text, you look at key words that can change your understanding of it. And when you look at certain key words, like we are here, this term, Balia all, and you employ this idea of the law of first mention, what you do is you take... You go back to the first time in Scripture where you find the term "belial" all being used. How is it being used? What is the context? Because it's going to tell you something about this word. Now, Now listen to me carefully. The first time we see this word being used, and there are many others that would follow, the first time this word is used in Deuteronomy 13... And it is used explicitly in the context to describe a false prophet, a false teacher who goes out to God's people and seduces and allures them away from their God. This is the term that is used. This is a heavy, weighty term. There's some depth to this term. I want to unpack this a little bit more for you. When you go to the Greek Subtuagent... And you look at how the Septuagint translates the Hebrew belie all, specifically in the law first mentioned. Deuteronomy 13, you know how it does so? It does it this way. "Paranomai, lawless one. Now that should capture your attention because this is exactly what the Apostle Paul calls the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he calls him the lawless one. In fact, that time period... You'll notice the intertestamental time period leading up uh, to the days of Yeshua and and the apostles. That time period, very prolific. And what we find is it became solidified. This term Belial or Beliar. There's all different ways that you can say this term. This term crystallized into a title for Satan. A title for the Antichrist. You can see the pseudepigraphic work that we had at the end of the first century going into the second century, one of those works is the Ascension of Isaiah. We spent some time in this in the book of uh, Hebrews when we were studying that. I want to take you there. I want you, to, I want you to see how they utilize this term, Belia, all. This is what we read. Okay, there we go. And we read, and Manasseh turned aside his heart to serve Belial. Now this whole text, which again is from the first or early second century, this is a Jewish Christian text, it's commenting on 2 Chronicles 33 and Manasseh. Manasseh, as we know, according to scripture, went into witchcraft. And here, the the, the writer explicitly expounds on what that really was, is that no, Manasseh went and served Beliar or Belial or Belia all. In other words, he went to serve the devil. But then it says this, for the angel of lawlessness, who is the ruler of this world, is Beliar. That's incredible. He's called literally the ruler of this world. Yeshua uses the exact same statement in John 14 in regard to Satan. Exact same statement. He is the angel of lawlessness. And it gets even more mind-blowing. I didn't even put any of these up. But if you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were scrolls from the time of Yeshua and even before. And they found all these amazing scrolls. One of the most prolific scrolls that they found was the war scroll. And in the war scroll, the whole thing is about the sons of light battling the sons of darkness. Oh, and it's interesting. They mention who the leader, this angel of hatred, as it's called, this angel of enmity, this angel of pure evil, he is the leader of the sons of darkness, and his name is Belial. And so, you know, I mean, we can see over and over, and I could show you many other texts like this one, 2 Corinthians 6.15, what accord has Christ with Belial? I mean, this is, this is the contrast between Yeshua and the devil. And so the simple point I'm making here, as we look at this text, as we, as we see this, in, in 2 Samuel 20, verse 1, and we're talking about there, there arose a Belial, all, you need to appreciate we're not just reading history here. You're reading a text that I assure you applies to you today. There's a spiritual reality, there's a spiritual lesson that is as applicable today as it was in the day when this actually unfolded. We're dealing with the rise of the Antichrist here. We're dealing with the rise of the devil. He's coming in. Now get this. We get his name and we learn this. Whose name was Sheva, Ben-Bichri, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. He blew a trumpet and said, get this. We have no share in David, nor do we have an inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. Now go back to that statement I told you to hang on to. Israel and all its leaders came out and declared what they should have, and saying, we have ten shares in David. They were declaring, David is our king. Our hope is in King David, because our hope is in God. We... We'll subject ourselves and submit to his rule and power and authority. This is what we will do. Now you have a Belial, Antichrist figure, rise up and says, No, you don't. No, you don't have a share in David. No, you don't have an inheritance. Abandon this vain thought of thinking that there's anything good in David, who is a typology of Yeshua. I mean, we're literally seeing Yeshua Christ booted up against the Antichrist. And this is what it is. This is what the battle's all about. And let me tell you something: every single generation has faced this issue. Every single one. You in your life has faced this issue. Who are you going to serve? Do you actually believe that you have hope in Yeshua? Will you submit to him? Or will you listen to Bali all? Will you listen to Shevna? Where are you going to go? How does Israel respond to this propaganda by Sheva, who has come out and said, no, we don't have any share, after Israel confessed it. He's our king. Israel already anointed him king. How do they respond? This is terrifying. So every man of Israel deserted David, and they followed Sheva, the son of Bichri. A great falling away. A great falling away took place. They listened to this Antichrist. They listened to him because he's persuasive. He was convincing. You know, I think about, oh, they think about a lot of, you know, 2 Peter chapter 2, we can talk about Paul's words and 1 Timothy 4, where Paul comes out and he says, The Spirit expressly says, That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. They will listen to these things. They will be deceived. What he says will seem right. What he says will allure them, especially at the opportune time, at the proper time. It's not all bad. Look at what we read next. There's some good news here. But the men of Judah from the Jordan, as far as Yerushalayim, remained loyal to their king. They were not moved. They were not deceived. They did not give in to his words. These people remained loyal to their king. Davak in the Hebrew, when you look at this, do you know what it means to be loyal? It means you cling on and you do not let go. You look at Deuteronomy 31, as it talks about, Behold, I set before you life and death. It goes on to say cling to him For he is your life You cling to him And so you hang on These men of Yehuda, These Jews they would not let go of their king Does that not tell you something On a spiritual level There's no hope outside of Yeshua The Mashiach ben David There's nowhere else to go There is no way to get an inheritance Apart from him These Jews knew this They clung we're going to drop down to verse 14. And Yoav, Joab went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and Bait, Maachah, and all the Barites. Be- uh, so they were gathered together. And what? Joab also goes after Sheva. And let me tell you something the last guy you want hunting you down in Israel is Joab. This guy is known, this guy doesn't lose. And this guy is the warrior of all warriors. He is the commander of David's army. He's hunting him down now. Verse 15, we read this. Then they came and besieged him in Abel of Beit Ma'acha, and they cast up a siege mount against the city, and it stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Oh, man, Joab found him. Joab found him. Sheva has taken up residence whether he actually had a permanent residence there or not is not clear That's debated But he has taken up residence in the city of Abel and now job has found him and guess what he does He's come to unleash hell on the entire city Bring it to the ground level it See because here's the thing any city that is going to harbor an enemy of the king becomes an enemy of the king This is what happens However, something takes place as Joab's ready to unleash hell as he's coming against the walls of Abel, which is an extremely fortified city. I mean, we can get that obviously by the text itself. This is what happens. Then, notice the title here A Wise Woman. Now, we're not given her name ever. She's simply known as a Wise Woman. You know, and I think of this, and I can't help but think of the parable of the virgins, the ten virgins. Well, five were foolish, but five were wise. Here we just see this personification of that parable coming right here, coming out on the pages. She is a wise woman, and she cried out from the city, Shema, here, Shimu, Shimu! Please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. Joab is currently... Unleashing hell on this city. I see, at this time, you would think any woman with their weight in Saul, what are they doing? We got to find a place to hide. You got to find a place to escape. I mean, does this not make sense? This one woman, she goes past everything, she goes to the front lines. Doesn't even make sense in the context we're given. And this is what we read, verse 17. When he had come near to her, the woman said, are you Joab? And he answered, Ani, I am. Then she said to him, oh, hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, oh, I'm listening. I assure you, if she may have started any other way, the response wouldn't have been, I am listening. But this woman, in her wisdom, she is deploying wisdom here. She comes out and she tells him, I am your maidservant. You want to talk about taking the bull by the horns and being able to know that, hey, I want to have a discussion with you. She's using wisdom. And what is she telling him in doing this? She's actually communicating something very, very powerful. I'm not against you, Joab. I'm with you. So she has his attention. I'm listening. This is, this is huge. Verse 18 So she spoke, saying, they used to talk in former times, saying, they shall surely see guidance at Abel. And so they would end disputes. This woman, watching her work the room is amazing. She comes out and she tells Joab about a proverb that exists in regard to the city she is dwelling in. That this city that I'm in, This is a city that is known for its wisdom. This is a city that's known for its just judgment. This is a city known for wise counsel. We are known throughout the land to bring matters that are very difficult to an end. Bring an amicable resolve. You know, and if it's true, and it is because she says it is, if this is truly a proverb, it is highly probable that Joab himself already knew this. And the woman is merely simply bringing this to his remembrance. Now, why is she doing this? This woman is doing this because she's intimated. She's telling Joab nothing has changed. There is still wisdom in this city. And we still have the ability to resolve difficult matters. This is why she does this. And then we go to verse 19. I am, this is the woman speaking to Joab, I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. Now she turns it to her so that he can see who she is. She's not just peaceable, she is faithful. To who? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of King David. But she's telling him, I am faithful to the king. She is faithful Women, pick up on these characteristics that we're seeing here. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you possess what this woman possesses, you're going to be able to do things like this woman does. And then she continues. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel? Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And again, this amazes me. This woman comes out from the shadows of all-out war... She comes to the front lines and she says to Joab, recognize me, Joab. I'm a mother in Israel. And that doesn't simply mean, hey, I've born children physically. No, no, no. It means so much more than that. She is a mother. She's a defender. She looks out for the well-being. She cares for the children of the living God. A mother in Israel And you're going to come out and you're going to destroy a city where a mother in Israel is and you're going to swallow up the Lord's inheritance? I mean, she's coming out saying, what are you thinking? Joab, isn't it amazing? So Joab, as he's unleashing hell on the city, what is he bringing? He's bringing the fear of death on the city. This woman volleys back with the fear of the Lord. With the fear of God. It's unbelievable. Giving Joab necessary perspective. She knows he needs this perspective. To show you how effective this woman really is, look at how Joab responds. And Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me that it should swallow up or destroy. That is not so. In other words, please understand, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to swallow up the inheritance of the Lord. I'm not here to destroy a mother in Israel. Oh, see, because you can see Joab reveres mother's, in Israel. There is a respect for mothers in Israel. He wouldn't think of doing such a thing. He didn't know this. Again, typically you have a city harboring an antichrist, a Belial. A city is seeking to defend that Belial. But now Joab gets a different perspective. Whoa. And he stops dead in his tracks. And so Joab goes on and says this. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim Sheva, the son of Behri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. One single woman. Combating fear overcoming fear, overcoming doubt, over, uh, overcoming any insecurities that she may have had, goes to the front lines in a selfless act as a mother of Israel, not thinking about herself. She's concerned about the well-being of the city. Notice she doesn't go to the wall and say, Oh, Joab, stay there. I'm going to lower myself down. Have at it. Just let me out of here. I'm a mother in Israel. She is interceding on an entire city. Intercession. This is mind-blowing. And so Joab responds favorably and tells her the entire city will be spared. Her work will not be in vain. All I need, deliver this Baliah all up. Deliver the evil one. How does the woman respond? So the woman said to Joab, watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. This mother in Israel is not playing. She doesn't mess around. She doesn't hesitate. She didn't blink. The second Joab says, you just do this, she goes to intercede on behalf of the city and tells Joab, it's done. Consider it done. Stay there. His head's coming. Which, of course, I can tell you, Joab already saw this guy. He saw what he did at that moment when he told, you have no share in David, so he knows what he looks like. And so when a head comes over, they'll verify They'll identify it. How does she do this, though? Does she go out, take a sword from a sheath, and and cut off his head? No, that isn't going to happen. I mean, it's just not going to happen. This is how she does it. Then the woman, in her wisdom, not foolishness, in her wisdom, went to all the people, called a real town hall meeting, called the entire city to come before her. Do you understand that? And what did she convey to them? Convey to them, we got sin in the camp. We have a problem. Sin has entered into our camp, and it's time to take the garbage out. Our lives depend on it. And you think about this situation that we see in this story, because I'm going to tell you right now, every single one of you are in this situation. Every single one of you are going to have to make the decision. When you recognize there is sin in the camp, and your walls are about to come tumbling down, and all hell is about to be unleashed on you, and judgment of God, you have to make a decision. you got to get the sin out. Whatever it is. I'm going to take you to the Torah. This is what we read. Pay attention. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house. Why? Lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. People, this means stop bringing the filth into your house. Whether it's books, whether it's magazines, that garbage that's coming across through the internet. People, single people, that would include being unequally yoked. Don't be unequivalent. You cannot bring that which is of the devil into your home and expect your walls to hold. It will not. You can't bring this stuff, immoral, immorality. You can't bring immorality into your marriage and expect your marriage to stand. It won't. It will fall. You want to invite the devil to come into your house, to come into your kid's life, and have that filth of witchcraft? come through, whether it's your radio or have that witchcraft come through your TV or your whatever, it's garbage. We've got to get rid of it because believe this, what the Torah says, it is true. You will become just like it. You will become accursed. You won't survive. You want to see a real life example scripturally, all you have to do is just get out of the Torah, get into the book of Joshua, and as the children of Israel are coming to destroy Jericho, the first city they're going to take down, God warns them to stay away from the accursed things. Because he, he knew their eyes. They would look with their eyes and they would covet. Well, they didn't listen. And when they go to their next battle, the battle of I, which is a joke, they could have went in with their flip-flops and beat them over the head in one. It was nothing. I kid you not. It was nothing. It was a joke. What ends up happening? Israel, the powerful nation with the God most high on their side, Goes in and they turn their backs against their enemies. And Joshua is weeping. He can't handle it. He was like, what is going on? This makes no sense. The Lord responds to Joshua and he says this. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore... The children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but they turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore. He's speaking to Joshua. I will not be with you unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. If Joshua can't be spared, don't think for one moment you're going to be spared. You will become doomed to destruction. Ecclesiastes 9.18 says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner, one sinner destroys much good. Our story, one sinner. Shevna, the son of Bichri. He is in the town of Abel, but get this. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. What is this woman employing? And this woman, in her wisdom, went to all the people. She is deploying wisdom. It's greater than any weapon of war that she could wield. That is an amazing thought. And I want you to understand. So she calls this town hall meeting, right? She gets all the city together to talk to him. Ladies, do you think for one second, there was not a multitude of things that she had overcome? Just think about this context. Do you think for one second that she just waltz in, oh, this is just so easy? Sheva... The son of Bichri with a wicked dragon tongue who had convinced all of Israel to abandon David, is in this city. What do you think he's been doing? He's been doing the same thing. He's going to affect and infect the whole body politic. He's going to do this. This is his focus, and so she's got a boatload to overcome. And unless we think about, do you, do you think she, she sat back and said, "Well, I'm just a woman." Can I tell? I can't tell you how many times I've talked to believing women and they've come up with a defeated face on their look, and their understanding is this is just a male dominated book, and there's no use for me, and I have no power, and there's nothing good, I have no value in the kingdom of God. Do do you not think that this woman had to overcome insecurity? Do you not think that this woman had to overcome fear? Do you not think she had to strengthen herself and the living God? She did. And the question is, is will you or will you shrink back to your to this comfortable place that the enemy has built for you? Where you go and retreat. And that way you can wallow in your insecurities, cover yourself in your insecurities like a blanket. And you make no difference for the kingdom of God. The devil wants you there. It's exactly why do you think he deploys all this filth on you? The fear, the insecurities. Why do you think he brings temptation? Why do you think he tries to cultivate unbelief in you women? Because you're a threat. You're a threat. But, but of course, the devil wants to tell you, you're no threat. You're a joke. You're just a woman. What can you do? Well, let's look at Scripture for a moment and let's look at the kind of women that we see in here and what they have done. This is one woman. There's no man in this story that is the hero. One woman goes to the front lines to intercede and she is having to cut through the filth and the lies that this Sheba, who has the tongue of the dragon who's acting like an antichrist she has to cut through all that garbage mow it down with her fear of God with her faith in the Lord and with the spirit of truth this is what she does you know I I think about what we see going on here and there's a story in Judges we won't look at it but in Judges chapter 20 it's the same it's almost apples for apples same situation two men wicked men and it's interesting can't make this stuff up right these two wicked men did something horrible to a woman in Judges 19, abusing her, and she ends up dying. Do you know what these men are called? They're called sons of Baalim. I mean, so, I mean Belia all. They're called the sons of Balia all. And Israel comes against them and says, deliver up these sons of Balia all. Deliver up these wicked ones. The tribe of Benjamin refused. They wouldn't do it. Do you know what God did? He literally almost wiped out an entire tribe of Israel because justice wasn't given. Absolutely an amazing thought. Well, as we continue on in our story, how does the town of Abel respond to the women's message? Because it's a life and death message. And and, and let me be clear. This message that this woman is bringing, it is the gospel. It's the gospel This is life and death. She is bringing hope. She is basically telling them, we must serve King David, which is a typology of Yeshua. It is the gospel. If we do this, if we submit to this king, if we make him our king, we make God our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we stay faithful, we will have salvation. We will will make it through this. We will be alive. We will not experience judgment. It's the gospel message. This woman is bringing it. So how do they respond to the gospel message? And they cut off the head of Sheva, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew the trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. The entire city is saved because of one single woman. The next time the enemy woman is trying to convince you that you can't do anything because you're a woman, oh my goodness, if you believe that lie, you will do nothing. You will produce nothing. You will have no fruit in the kingdom of God. Take your stand as a mother in Israel to care, to care for the, the children of the living God, to go out in war, in intercession, to intercede on their behalf, to be women of faith. Women of hope, strong in the Lord, not weak in the flesh. This is who we need to be. And, 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 you know, the Proverbs 31 woman, an ashet chayil, a woman of valor. And it's interesting, there's there's a lot of things said about a woman of valor in, in Proverbs 31. But one something stands out in regard to what we read today, and it's the following. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the Torah. It's the Torah. It's the law of kindness, chesed. She moves in wisdom. This woman, an Abel, who is a mother in Israel, as an Ashet chayil, she is a woman of valor. She's a woman of honor that values Honor. We need these kind of women. I said that in the last message with Shifra and Pua. We need women of valor, mothers in Israel to rise. This generation needs it. The people need it. It would not have been a good thing if this woman, one single woman, wouldn't have risen up. That would not have went well. I want to close with this verse. Pay attention. The eyes of the Lord go throughout all the earth. To show himself strong among those whose hearts are loyal to him, to those who are clinging on to them. The Lord is combing the earth and he wants to show his power in certain people, only those, though, who are loyal. And that's what's amazing about this story with this woman in Abel, that she's in this town of Abel. The eyes of the Lord were combing, looking for those that he, so he can show himself powerful. And you know who he found? One single woman. One single woman. And I'm telling you, gals, if you do as the scripture says here, he will show his power in you.